Choose life, choose a sport, choose a drop zone, choose a start time, choose a fucking big jump plane, choose turbine engines, speed, unlimited altitude and endless horizons. Choose height, no low turns and travel insurance. Choose jump tickets, choose tiny action cameras, choose your mates, choose a rig and matching helmet, choose swoop shorts and a range of fucking fabrics, choose 120 vertical speed and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch, watching debriefs, spirit-saving slow-mos, smashing beers after last load. Choose standing on the podium at the end of it all. Choose a wing you'll love every time. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you fly NZ Aerosports? Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe... There's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports, fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust, like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot, the Crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch, the JFX 2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game, the Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So the equipment is top of the line kick-ass stuff as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. Hell, they've even got a special offer for all you Lunatic listeners out there. Just head to pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void. That's pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void and follow the instructions to register a website account with them. You'll score a discount voucher with 20 bucks towards any purchase over $200. 
I mean, come on. You know you're going to shop with NZ Aerosports, so grab a little extra cash towards that buy and enjoy. The offer is good until the 31st of December, and the voucher is good for three months, so go register now. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And this type of podcast is actually probably one of my favorites, which is the opportunity to sit down and talk to a jumper that I don't really know and don't know too much about because it's the the real deal bonfire chat. It's the sitting down next to the fire going, so what the fuck? What do you do? So let's just cut to it. Who the fuck are you and what do you do? My name's Nathan Smith and I'm a Southern California-based free flyer. I've been jumping uh, for about 13 years, and uh, through competitive skydiving, I've been able to start working in instructive skydiving and travel around the country and the world working at boogies and skills camps and kind of share my knowledge with younger up jumpers and nice. kind of pay it forward a bit. Nice. Fucking SoCal, man. That's, uh, uh, that's a, a good spot. In fact, my first turbine drop zone was Paris Valley. Yeah, I didn't know uh, exactly how lucky I was when I was doing AFF there. <laughs> like I, I really didn't understand you know what i mean like i didn't get the term turban for a long time you know I was right. just like oh it's otters you know yeah. but it what? wasn't until i traveled to single uh engine single drop or single aircraft drop zones to where i really understood like wow there's a difference between an operation and a club yeah and the the ability to go on a monday and get five jumps <laughs> on in january yeah, no shit, quite right? Happened everywhere in the country. No, you know? no. I mean, I, I I learned how to jump out of a Cessna, and the drop zone that I learned at had a twin otter, but they never fucking used it because it wasn't a really fun jumper friendly drop zone. Uh, so everyone would drive from Vegas to Paris to go jump. So uh, all my firsts happened in Paris. My first turban, my first broken bone, my first cutaway, <laughs> everything happened at that drop zone. Oh man, like there was a time where that you were you were there when the pond was there then. Yes. The go fast days. Oh yeah. Oh, there was some carnage turned up on that dirt in front of and after that pond in several different manners. Oh god, yeah, yeah. I think my first jump in in Paris Valley was in mid nineteen ninety six. Uh, so I saw a lot of shit come and go. Yeah. So my so so the the person who got me into the sport started around that time at Paris as well. It, it started at the same time as you did. Yeah, no, he started in the nineties in Paris and then took about twenty years off and then got back into it maybe fifteen years off and got back into it with his son, who was a good friend of mine in about two thousand and five. Oh, okay. All right. Well, now you were telling me uh, pre-podcast. Uh, um, I, I actually had a good laugh because I'm always uh, pleasantly surprised at all the different shit that jumpers get up to to be able to jump. So, and I asked you, I'm also, what are you doing? You said, uh, you know, my trade keeps me up. You know, up early in the morning and working hard. And I asked you what your trade was. So tell me again what it is you do. Um, I work on uh, HVAC equipment, large tonnage uh, for commercial and industrial equipment. And my last role was at Jet Propulsion Laboratory of NASA as the lead technician. Dude, so, so that was kind of a, that was kind of a big. It's it kind of a lot of responsibility there. You kind think of a lot going on all the time? Well, yeah, you- it was. You were talking about the Mars mission, yeah? You were you were working there when they were doing the build-up for all this stuff. 
Oh yeah. I mean, it was crazy. Like it was, it was a, the first time in my career that I had been around a project that was so monumental for mankind Mm. and it's everything, you know, like everything's about that mission. And I spent, you know, several 20 hour days manually operating laboratories so they could continue testing, just sitting there right above the Rover as they're building it and firing pyros and stuff. And I mean, it was really cool. Like I really didn't understand at the time how lucky I was to be that close to that project. But, you know, as it, got closer and as it launched and, and it, as it took off it was it was really cool to see and be a, a tiny part of it and uh and really see what people can do when they put an idea and they have passion and they're committed to that idea sure and yeah. it really it showed me that you know like it, it's it's all about it's all about the people and it's all about the effort and if you have the right people and they have the right amount of effort you could really do anything you want you know so it it was it was an inspiring atmosphere you know it really had a can-do attitude and that kind of rubs off on you you know and oh yeah i can't say anything but positive things that where i was like wow you know like it wasn't hard to get up to work you know like granted the 230 you know wake ups to be there at 4 a.m isn't exactly how i'd like to spend a monday or tuesday (laughs) right but, you know, looking back and, and how I spent that couple of years, I, I, I could say that I'm really proud about how I, I invested that time. Well, especially you know? uh, in the, the world we live in today, it's so cool to see something that's just, you know, a, almost a purely positive undertaking by so many people. And I mean, uh, um, just the last um, uh, Elon Musk, you know, when he launched the first people off the, you know, the United States soil in what, since the 70s or, or since the shuttle, um it was amazing, super, super impressive. So I can't even imagine what it's got to be like to be on the ground watching them do this shit, knowing, fuck, that's going to Mars. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's just like, it's it's really cool because it's kind of, I related a lot to the drop zone because the drop zone, you could have a 70-year-old skydiver that's just blitzing about a two-way. You know, he's like, oh, man, and you took the dock, you know? And it's like, you see adults here that are full on geeking out and they could barely contain their excitement about what they do for a living. Oh yeah. You know, and that, and that was something where I was like, Oh sweet. You know, like I could get behind this, you know, like, I, I have no problem getting up in the morning to support these kind of people, you know? Which, and the fact that you were doing that kind of stuff, and I've said it a couple of times on the podcast, I'm never not surprised at the shit that skydivers get up to. And I always figured skydivers just kind of lucked into their life like I did, and then it turns out, no. <laughs> a lot of them put a fuckload I mean, of effort into getting where they got. <laughs> I remember when I started, right? Because when I started, I had like... a you know, a decent amount of money saved for a 19 year old. Mm. Right. So you're, you're talking like, you know, sub 10 grand and that is a decent amount for a kid. But when you start skydiving, oh. right, like that, that amount of money really gets you to about a rig and a hundred jumps. Pretty right? much. Pretty much. So, so then there you are with a rig and a hundred bu- or a hundred jumps and uh, just a new infatuation with, this thing that you can't get enough of sure you know so for me it was like how am i going to make more money so i could spend more time on the drop zone right and that was the catalyst you know like it was a big driver of professional growth in my life 
outside of the drop zone just to be able to stay on the drop zone and pursue that life. Sure. Which is actually kind of funny, though, because you took a route that, um, quite frankly, a lot of jumpers don't in that you went to work in another field to finance your jumping, whereas a lot of people like me chucked everything else and started working in the sport just to be able to hang on to the sport. Yeah, it was a – the thing for me is it was like I had – I had some really good opportunities, a lot of flexibility and that flexibility with, with me being flexibility or flexible with them, with my trades, 24 hours. Mm. Right. So you really expected in, you know, corporate America for an eight hour shift. Right. And I really learned that, it, you know, there's a few places that I erected some, some, uh, small divisions and we, we kind of set up processes in place. And I realized as long as I was available to answer. You know, and what I learned was this, I was on a load and as long as I called back in 30 minutes, the world didn't end, you know, so I could continue to facilitate my jumping through the day and keep them working and then go to the hospital after the drop zone and then keep everything, you know, all the uh, P's and Q's, you know, aligned. Sure. And then it allowed me to align myself for the next jumping day. Sure. So it was a hybrid, right? There was, there was a lot, a lot of times where I didn't have that flexibility where it took me. Uh, you know, a couple years to for them to understand what I was doing outside of the my career, and for them to buy in, and then to be you know a little bit more flexible. Sure. But it's it's definitely something to where like when I started traveling for skydiving, say when I was 25, I had never really left North America or Mexico, and within the next five years, while working for the same company, I worked in 23 countries for my skydiving business. Nice. So it was just like I was on it all the time, you know, and it was like I had a security clearance. I had to fill out all these travel briefings to get allowed to go to these countries. And it's like, oh, you're going to a skydiving event here. You're going to interact with foreign nationals. Yeah, it's my job. Yep. All right. Well, do you know, you don't, you know, like there's no talk of this business there. Like, yeah, of course. Like it's the drop zone. That's not how it works. Right. Know? Right. Well, I've told the but, story before at the drop zone that I started at. There was a, um, a cop that uh, was a part-time tandem instructor there and a fun jumper that was uh, a known pot dealer at the time. And they kind of had this. Uh, unspoken agreement on the drop zone that shit that happened outside of the drop zone stayed outside of the drop zone and when they were there they were just a couple of jumpers having fun and it's kind of fucking cool that we get to do that yeah well it's about creating a divide you know like and the thing is it's like there is acceptable behavior and there's unacceptable behavior and it's just about where that happens and i think that the drop zone isn't a place for that to happen you know Right. Well, I mean, we, I, I think especially in modern skydiving, we do a good job of, of doing that PC line dancing that you need to do when the general public and, and, yeah. uh, ta- you know, tandem customers and AFF students are around. Uh, but, uh, the, at least the idea for me was as soon as the sun has gone down and the bonfires lit, if you're still on the drop zone, you get what you get. Oh, hundred percent. And yeah. I mean, you know, it's, and it's funny that you say that because it's, you know, it's been, a it's the old days of skydiving. It's still, it's still there in some places, you know, like it's mm-hmm. just the, it's the old people that are ushering, ushering that. And, and I love that. It's just, it's, there's a PC nature that's changed a bit with it. Sure. And you have to, you have to work a little bit more to get that, those old fills, which I'm okay with. Sure. I, I, I love that. Um, it's just, it, you, I, I remember like just the, the access to it before, you know, like it was, it was, it, it was a little different 10 years ago, if that right. makes sense, you know, yeah, for now, sure. I mean, the sport, the sport's grown a lot, you know, and we've, 
we've got a lot more uh like like the exposure with tunnels you oh, know yeah. and the amount of people that are going into the sport with the tunnels it's you got a lot more people coming in that it's a, of different mindsets you know and yeah. i can't say that it, that wasn't the same when you started sure. but maybe an influx yeah well i mean it was still skydiving was still um not particularly accessible to the general public as far as you know just being able to watch there was no swooping so people weren't watching these uh you know the amazing competitions that are going on now there was no tunnel so they didn't have a you know a way to really figure out what was going on and the the drop zones were very much counterculture if you were on the bigger drop zones uh my biggest one having been cross keys in its heyday um, when it was, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And every once in a while, you'd think about skydiving, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, like, I remember going to some certain events where the party superseded the skydiving. Oh, and yeah. it was definitely like, I'm going back for that party. Sure. You know, and like, the, the, the people were great and the jumps were great. But it was definitely like when the lights went down, they, that's what that drop zone aspired. Oh yeah, but, you I know, mean, like and, you could tell where the energies went. And it's know? not that that's that that doesn't still happen. I mean, I know people that were going to um, Summerfest every year, and maybe they would jump, <laughs> but yeah, they were. Well, you're right. You know, they were going it, for the it, party. And it's funny because it's perspective, right? Because sure. it's like you know internally, you know, like over the last you know five years, it's like when I started going to boogies, it was like, oh, it's work and a party. You know, and when you're 25 and you're working boogies, your body is a little bit more forgiving of, of <laughs> you know, of, of how you behave. Yeah. You know, and as you get a little bit older and the, as the jumps pile up, you start to see a little bit like, oh, okay, you know, like there's there's certain my body's need my body needs certain things, you know. So yeah. maybe it's a personal adaptive adaption of mindset because it's kind of turned more into business and work for me in those places. Sure. And I definitely let the guard down and cut it loose, but it's. It's a transition over the last few years out of maybe self-preservation. Yeah. No, no, it definitely is. I mean, uh, um, I, I did enough of the intense jumping and, and the intense partying that eventually I just went, oh, yeah, no, everything kind of hurts in my head, my body. I'm not, I'm not holding up quite as well as I used to, so maybe it's time to back it down a notch just a little bit, which was fun. Yeah, well, it was, you know, and, and for sure, I mean, everything has its paces, right? and cycles and i think that's like one of the things that's like you know i'm young for sure i'm 32 and but i'm not young in the sport you know i started when i was 19 sure and and i was after it you know like i i did aff i finished aff in november 2000 or actually october 2008 okay and then in november 2010 i did my first free fly big way record wow so that first you know year you know, granted, I didn't know that if I wasn't in California at Paris and having the ability to go to Lodi and Elsinore and all these drop zones for wherever the jumping was. But, you know, that was it was kind of my life. And when I looked up a year later and we got the I think it was the 58 way, I was like, I could there's something in this. Sure. You know, like there's there's a direction, you know, and and it kind of opened my eyes to what I kind of wanted, not just from myself, but from the sport. Sure. And uh it was it was kind of eye opening because at the time you know like the tunnel wasn't really believed in it wasn't a solidified source of training yet you know sure. it was still on the it was still on the cusp of acceptability right you know like some people used it and it was proved those people believed it but the people that learned in the sky were more like no you get your experience in the sky 
Well, I think that was more, uh, uh, at least from my generation, that was kind of more uh, a pride thing because I was a tunnel rat out of the Vegas tunnel, but the Vegas tunnel was a, you know, big balloon suit, mushy oh, air tunnel. Yeah, you know, I mean, so it, it taught me how to fly a suit, um, but it, I mean, it was definitely a help. Um, but the guys that had the real pride were, I learned how to do this one jump at a time. And now I look back and I see all these amazing tunnel flyers, you know, a guy with 50 jumps that can fly circles around me in the tunnel. Um, and that's kind of the last thing I've got to hang on to is, well, I had to learn how to free fly 45 seconds at a time. <laughs> you but, you know? Know, well, it's like, but, but, you know, like, but even speaking on the technologies, right. Because like, as my, like, if, if I were to look back and think of like milestones of my generation, like there were several places that were catalysts. Right. Mm. And like Pahokee, right. Pahokee's before, b- before I was even in the sport when they, when Lewis was there and, um, just it was before everything had moved to Sebastian into land, and that was like a, a breeding ground for what was happening next, you know. Mm. And that it makes me think then of next of like the Eloy Tunnel, sure. right? Because the Eloy Tunnel, when that tunnel was put up, I would say conservatively there was probably a hundred people in the world that could fly head down, mm. and that maybe even maybe fifty or twenty five, sure, you know. And they really took it and they made it a science there, you know, like Jason Peters and Steve Curtis. And, you know, like granted they had influence like ushering by, you know, Craig Girard and the, you know, the, the template that is airspeed, Mm. you know, but it was like, for me, when I like a couple of the things that stood out was like, you know, nowadays you could go on YouTube and you could type tunnel flying or you could type, you know, uh, Ryan Patrick Productions, and you can see these just, just intel like these incredible edits, the cinematography. Sure. You know, ten years ago we were just holding on to the next edit. You know, and I remember specifically the a friend of mine now, but at the time, you know, complete strangers named Shane Tolley with Windworks. He did these Eloy edits, hmm. and it was Eloy Crew Volume One and Two. And I remember watching these videos and being like, I'm going to the tunnel and trying that now. (laughs) And then it was like, I'm going to Eloy, you know, but I was still new. And it was at the point where you're like, you, how you amass friends and, you know, groups in the sport is through friends. Sure. And it's for me, it was getting my buddy Moo like, Hey, when are we going to Eloy? (laughs) And Moo took me out there and kind of like introduced me to all the right people and kind of kind of change that direction of the sport by now having, you know, good guidance consistently. You sure. know, anytime I went to Arizona, it was stepping right back into where the last trip was, you know? I remember being able to, and it was really cool for me because, again, I came from the old school tunnel, and uh, I worked for, I want to say, about a year with Ray Kubiak uh, in that tunnel. Oh, man. And then, Legend. of course, oh, yeah. You know, um, and, and I, I, I'll say this I've said it on a number of podcasts. I even said it on the one I did with Ray. I taught Ray how to fly in the tunnel. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was his I was his first instructor, and he was fucking horrible. Um, by by his oh man, so that was that was before he got signed. I, that was before he that was before uh, the other instructor left, and he signed everyone off. Right? Oh yeah, no no no. Was, I I literally I took Ray into the tunnel the very first time he went flying. 
And he was tall and skinny, and he had a, a just a tracking body position, and he would just slam face first into the wall. Um, and of course, by week two, he was out flying everybody and trying to learn moves in that soggy wind tunnel uh, that he would then go on to you know perfect uh, in a wall to wall air tunnel. And it was so cool to be able to watch his progression from the carnival ride that we had in Vegas uh, to this insane level of ability that I still marvel. And it was great because it was also really when the social media shit was really kicking off and people were posting videos. And so I'd go watch Ray fly and go, holy shit, I taught him none of that. (laughs) Oh, like the evolution, you know, like it was, it was, it was cool to see what that spin did to the growth of our sport, you know, not just for skydiving, but extreme sports, you know, like sharing the YouTubing, you know, and Vimeo and things like that. And like, Oh, they're doing that there. Oh, we got to do that and something, sure, you know, sure. add a twist. And I think that, that was a, a really big proponent, you know, like it's, it's funny because like we were speaking about like of not really understanding the grandeur significance of the, of the people in our sport. And I think that he's a great one to mention in that world, Oh yeah, you know, cause I think that a lot of people don't understand who he taught, who taught them, Oh you yeah. know, and it's, and it's a generational sport, you know, it's, it's, it's where the knowledge comes from and, and, and how it gets passed, which makes it so special. Sure. And he's fun. And if you're in, the thing is, if you haven't placed yourself where Ray is, and, and maybe that's changed now, because social media and the access to information is a little bit easier, but Ray isn't somebody that's putting himself out there. Ray's just doing it because he's Ray. Yeah, yeah, no, Ray just does it because he's fucking. He's he's Doctor Kubiak. He's badass. Um, and yeah. that's the thing too is he's a lot like. And we talked before the podcast about Omar Alhijalan. He doesn't need to broadcast, hey, I've done these things. You know, I mean, uh, he just does his thing. And you would never know if you didn't know anything about tunnel flying. You could be sitting in the tunnel next to Ray before he climbs in and not know until he hits the air just what kind of talent that guy's got. Oh, sleepers is what I call them. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's funny because it's like, as I've got, I like, as I've been around a little bit more, been exposed and gathered a little bit of experience is you, I start one thing with skydivers is personalities, mm. you know? And, and I, and I could say it's like, I was totally the example of the young, excited skydiver, like that will share my experience openly, sure. you know? And, and at the time it was like out of a misunderstanding of not gather, not understanding the playing field, you know? Right. And it may have came across as like bragging, right? And, but but now when I'm interacting, I see people like myself at that age, and I also see people that are a little bit more timid but a little more confident. Sure. And like those are those sleepers that I'm like, oh, all right, he's gonna come out, he's gonna pull something out of his sleep. Sure, sure. You know, like he's the quiet one in the debrief and the post talk, but he's gonna be the one closest to me in the first jump. Sure. You well, know? And I think the other thing with the sport is uh, we talk about generations, but the fact of the matter is generations in skydiving are very short generations. You know, I mean, um, we're we're talking about previous and and new generations that are. 15 years apart <laughs> in age, yeah. you know? Um, but it, I think uh, those generations are marked by key events in the sport, the wind tunnel being a big one, because uh, I'm pre-modern wind tunnel, so that kind of puts me in a different generation. Um, and to think of Ray as, as in an older generation still cracks me up. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Well, the thing is, it's it's, it's funny, right? Because it's like, I... I would say that like I was totally a kid and like they were allowing a kid to hang out. Sure. You know, like when I first, when I first showed up in Eloy, like they were buying me drinks at the bomb shelter, Mm. you know, like I didn't like, I'll, I'll never forget my AFF 
level eight. Like when I graduated, I was at Paris Valley with my good friend and his dad. And I'm like, don't worry, guys, I'll buy the beers. I had a fake ID. <laughs> and I went up to the bar by a pitcher and the dude goes, he looks at the ID and gives it back. And little did I know I was still wearing the hi, my name's Nathan name tag from Paris. And there I am with my fake ID that says Joe or John or whatever. And being a drop zone, the guy who looks at me laughs and gives it back. Right. Right. And I'm like, oh, what just happened? You know? And then I had to like shamefully walk back to my friend's dad and be like, they didn't take my fake ID. Right. Can you guys go buy the beers? You know? <laughs> right. And then it's just like, it's, it's, you really don't know how fortunate you are at the times that you, you have it, you know, because it's like as I was a, a young adult, you know, developing into a man, still trying to understand who I was as a person. I had these people that had been in this environment that I was in these similar growth points. And they were really, you know, big, big factors of sure. who, how I, you know, either turned into being a better person or turned into being, you know, a lesser quality of a person. Sure. And, uh, like, well, I mean, drop zones are kind of a, um, they're a, a boiled down version of society. I mean, you get the extremes from every angle all over the place and it's pretty easy to spot pretty quickly. Um, I mean, cause oh, yeah. Scott Evers become friends and, uh, not just acquaintances, but become really close friends really quickly simply because of the nature of what we do. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is, you get to know people really, really quick and you can go, Oh, you're that type. Gotcha. Yeah, well, it's weird because you let this guard down, I feel, sure. when you're on a drop zone. And then especially if you do a jump with someone, you know, it's like you pull down that guard a little bit more. And I feel like that's like one of the easiest ways now to like for me to, you know, like I, I'm a very social person. Like I, I really enjoy social, social atmosphere, but there's a surface level of surf of, of, of social engagement, you know, and it's, it's really cool to know that I could go to the drop zone and it's it's nice because like I'm working at Paris now, but I'll go and fun jump at Elsinore Sure. and I'll just go and slide in and get on a load. And if somebody wants to jump with me, they jump with me. And, and more than not, I, you know, will be able to give them a little bit of good input and sure. also make a new friend, Sure. you know? And that's, that's kind of the, like last week I had a, like the people too, you know, like the, the, the different masses of people that you meet. It's like hmm. I have one of my best friends watches a TV show. It's like one of his favorite shows and I hate it. And anytime we're at his house, he'll like go to put it on and be like, bro, we're not watching this. <laughs> well, last week at my angle camp, the lead artist for that TV show was one of the participants. <laughs> and now it's like, Oh man, I met the guy. He goes, no way. That shows the best. And I'm like, I still don't agree, but now I have a, a, a center point, you know? Yeah. You're like, oh, but, he was a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, we're actually going to do 10 more days of coaching together. Well, see, there you go. Things like that. That's, you know? I mean, that's one of the really cool things, too, is, I mean, for the most part, uh, and I've said it before, there's there's skydivers that I don't particularly care for, but there's not one I don't have respect for. You know, and yeah. again, that's the nature of what we do. And there's just radically different personalities. For the most part, most of us are pretty alpha personalities. It just kind of comes with the territory. Um, but I'd say for a bunch of alphas, skydivers play really fucking well together most of the time. Yeah. And it's it's funny because like the the way that you say that, it's like when you see a, a big way free fly event, like a world record. That's like 20 of the biggest alphas in the world all working together for a greater cause. Yeah. You know, and it's like it's it's really cool to see that. Right. Because it's like it's funny because with the right 
uh, motivations, it's really easy to set aside that ego and self-righteousness. Sure. You well, know, and that's, and that's one thing that I see skydiving brings that common ground for. Well, and they do that even, even when it's not a common goal. I've, I've been there for many, many competitions now, especially the swoop competitions stand out the most to me. I've never seen competitions other than, I suppose, the X game style stuff where people are rooting just as hard for the guy trying to beat them as they are themselves. See, that's a culture in skydiving I haven't seen. Like, I haven't been to the skydive or the swooping style, mm. but that reminds me of my upbringing in wakeboarding. Oh, cool! When you wait, when you are on a boat and you're you're learning how to wakeboard, and you're even when you're advancing in wakeboarding, when you learn a new trick or someone learns a new trick, everyone on the boat cheers. Sure, you know, and that's contagious. You know, and like it makes me want to insert myself more into that canopy world. Because there is a division, you know, because in the free fly world, it's definitely <laughs> like not that way. Right. You know, like when you're at a free fly com- competition and round one, like when you see the judging of your competitors, like at least in my standpoint, like it wasn't like with the <laughs> amount of work and effort that we put in, we weren't hoping that they did better. Right. You know, like we hoping that they did their best and we're hoping that they had performed their, to their highest level so we could beat them at their highest level. Sure. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. But there, it, it wasn't like a, uh, like if you saw a new move, there was like, holy shit, they had that new move. Right. You know what I mean? And 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 for me, that was one of the biggest differences coming from the wakeboarding world, wakeboarding world to skydiving. If that makes sense. I think the only time I saw a competition where it was clearly super intense, and I'd never seen this kind of focus in the sport before, and this was way back in the '98 Nationals when I competed in that, and. On board the aircraft that uh, uh, we were jumping out of, we had uh, Omar was doing freestyle. Um, we had uh, uh, the O'Briens were sky surfing against myself and my partner, Mary. And then Arizona Airspeed uh, was the eight-way team was in the back. Uh, and as we're getting, I think the two-minute uh, light had come on. And, and uh, so all the sky surfers and freestyle, we're still just shooting the shit and giving high fives and everything. Yep. And airspeed's in the front of the airplane, gloves on, heads down, you know, doing their drills and everything. And one of the people sitting in the back uh, yells something along the lines of, hey, airspeed, don't fuck it up. <laughs> which which we all thought was hilarious. They did not think it was amusing at all. <laughs> No, and when you're when you're talking to the embodiment of American competitive skydiving, yes, right? exactly. Like, like and, and the thing is, it's like I, one thing that most people don't understand is that you know the growth of our sport has been through five or six families. Mm. You know, like the Hills and the the Nelsons and you know the Boyds, and there's these people that have this extreme passion and they usher the sport. Mm. You know, and and Airspeed is a great example of you know what a great person will do for the sport oh sure you know like they're they're an institution now and you know like like man i didn't know like speaking of not knowing or not knowing what you don't know like when i started at paris dan bc would take me on two ways you know before (laughs) i like like yeah well i had no idea right like and it's funny because we joke and as i did well in free fly competition he always says now you know i tried to make you my rw teammate but you never wanted to fly with me <laughs> and it just makes me feel like this utmost dog shit and it's like wow <laughs> right? damn bc you know and it's like like you, you never know you don't know you know because it's like i had no idea who he was sure. and he was the most 
down to earth person to me ever, you know, which like, is the coolest ever. I mean, when this podcast was just getting started, I think I'd only done maybe a dozen episodes or so. I got Craig Gerard uh, in the podcast. And at the time, my studio was built in my spare toilet. So I got fucking the Craig Gerard to come sit in a toilet with me for an hour and a half and talk about skydiving. So Dude, it, like, like, and when you talk about like the legends of legends, yes. you know, like, and that, like the thing it's like, like, I remember my first interaction with Craig really, I met him, like I got, I was just, just got with cookie and I was traveling a lot, which just started doing the boogie circuit. And one of my team managers, Nick Collette was like, dude, you need to come out to the, um, airspeed reunion. He's like, this is a lot of history and there's a lot of culture here. And I think you should be around it. Mm. And I remember it was the year after my team had won nationals for free flying. And, you know, there's a divide and there's like a bit of ego, but you understand that like when you're in the shadow of legends that you're, you're exactly that you're in that shadow, sure. you know, and that's cool. Yeah, um, no, it really it's, is. it's cool. Well, it's cool because you even exist now, and you exist because they created a a, a road for us to walk. For down, sure, for know? sure. Well, the other really cool thing I, too, um, I I loved the fact that I hit a point in the sport where I went, oh, I'm never going to be as good as these people. I'm never going to stand on the podium. I this is this is my lot in skydiving, and it freed me up to be a real fan of what other people were doing without ever having to put any ego on my side because I know everybody out there has got a shot at being better than me and I'm fine with that. That's a great spot to be. You're still in that competitive zone. So like you said, the free fly competition stuff can get pretty intense. Uh, and, but for me, it would be up. Oh, yep. I fucked that jump up. <laughs> I just, Oh, don't. I mean, and, and it trusts me because it's, it's a transition of mindset, right? Because sure. it's like, I, I think of competition, right. And, and I remember saying this and not really understanding the significance of like competition brings out the best and the worst of people, you sure. know? And I really didn't understand that maybe it brought out the best and worst of me, sure. you know? And it was, it was really good for me as professional growth and, and being able to accomplish things in skydiving. But I'd say that like, like maybe I was that kid that was trying to prove himself. Sure. And I would say that there was a lot of conversations I had after the point where I was like, all right, I did competitive skydiving and made the US team, got invited to a couple world meets. Like, all right, I could do this. Maybe it's not my, maybe it's not my path to consistently try to be in this world and try to maybe stay not relevant, but try to stay at the front. Sure. You know, and, and I, and I guess you like, I was happy with my allotment in, in life in the sport. Sure. You know, like I, I know that there's a, a divide in where I am and where some of my uh, associates are. Sure. And I'm happy with that divide is we're still pushing the sport in different ways. Absolutely. You well, know? it's, it's kind of coming and, to that realization that makes it nice. You know, that's when you get to just go, Oh, okay. No, I found my little slot and this is, this is awesome. And whether you're pushing it to, you know, try and stand on the podium every time, or you found that, you know, comfortable area for me, just knowing, eh, I'm never going to be, you know, a, an amazing skydiver. My, the funnest thing for me in the sport is that I know so many incredible skydivers. Now that's my bragging rights. Isn't what I can do. It's what the people I know can do. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's it like, well, it, that's what makes me proud every day is, you know, it's like when it, with social media, I see my friends doing, you know, pushing hard, right. You know? And it's like, it's cool because it's like, now I see, I see this shared passion every day, you know? And like, when I go to work, that lights me up when I'm having, when I got a meeting, you know, like that's, that gets me through the meeting, you know, and it's, and it's, uh, 
it's it's humbling to see the level that our sport has grown yeah you know like from from where we where i was 10 years ago and where wind tunnel flying was and when dynamic wasn't really even a discussion you know right. and and now we have world level competitions that are regularly transpiring bringing together not only the best of the best but best of the youth oh yeah like the kids that are flying to the tunnel now oh, it's are insane. insane it's insane yeah it's like i remember surfing as a kid you know i grew up in orange county and we, I grew up like 13 minutes or 13 miles from the beach, which is like half an hour, mm. you know, that, that half hour, you know, we got to the water a lot, you know, a couple times a week when the waves are good. But when you were in the water and you were around the little kids from Newport that lived there and you saw these nine year olds just busting airs and you're just like, wow, <laughs> you know, like it was really cool to see with that sport. And then like, I never really understood at the time what the tunnel would be bringing for our sport, you know, and. And it was really, I was fortunate enough to have this opportunity to judge a competition when iFly comps were just starting. And it was when they started the kids division. Mm. And I'll tell you, my favorite division to judge that whole competition was the kids. Oh, I bet. Like seeing, seeing these little humans in their competition zone, you know? Oh, yeah. And like seeing how they're like, cause I, my dad was big on it, right? Like my dad was the, you know, like all preparation with wakeboarding, wake up on a weekday before school and drive an hour to the lake so I could train an hour before school. Oh man. So it's like, like I get the mindset, you know, and it's, and it's cool to see that they get to live, you know, that at that age, Oh yeah, man. you know, and they, they get that stimulus of the mindset and the imagination of like, Oh man, I could fly and I could do what I want when I fly. Oh know? yeah. I just saw um, a video that I think it just came out on Facebook uh, just a couple of days ago of the Wittenbergs working on another oh, routine. Man. Jesus Christ, it's not fucking human. It's insane. I it's mean, insane. I, I like, talked to and, Mike and on the podcast, and and uh, he was, you know, I mean, he's like, I don't really push them. I just kind of let them do their thing. And I'm like, holy shit, man. The, the level of flying that they're at is so beyond me, it's not even funny. Oh, they're light years ahead. Yeah. And they're understanding as well. Like, when, and the thing is, it's like, I'm, as a coach, you know, it's it's one thing to always be self-aware. You know, and, and to understand the influence that you're giving people. And, and I'll tell you, and I, I work really hard at communicating at a high level and, and having the right information and watching those two coach, those <laughs> children, they just blow me out of the water. They're next yeah. level. Like they, and, and you get why though, right? Like in like their influences, at, you know, like who they are around at such young, you know, Noctum oh, and who yeah. they're flying with and that their their love that that exposure, you know, goes hand in hand with it. But also the mindset, right? Because Mike and Julie are both just incredible people. Sure. You know, on their own, you know. So it's like it shows you what two passionate people can make. And, you know, if they encourage it in the right way, like, it's just amazing, you know? No, it, it really is incredible. And, and they, the other big thing that uh, they didn't do was push. They let them choose that path on their own, which is just, I mean, that's the Yeah, one. I mean, like, like one of my favorite Wittenberg memories is I was holding my first camp at CSC. And it was when I started, first started holding angle camps. And it was before angles weren't really big about 10 years ago you know the east coast had their thing and a few people on the west coast but it wasn't regularly taught you know it was angle events weren't regularly uh scheduled sure so i went out there and you know it was just me so i had the idea of you know like 10 people and having you know at that time i was a lot more ambitious and i was turning loads and doing group debriefs and it was you know still growing the business and the camp filled up and they added mike to my camp 
And he was my second instructor. And I was like, right. holy shit, I'm working with Mike Wittenberg, right? <laughs> right. Well, the only better part was Julie showed up. And she's like, yeah, I don't get coached from him. So I'm going to be in your group all week or all weekend. <laughs> so I got to hang out with her for three days. And she like, it was cool because it was like, she got a lot better. But it was also cool because it's just I was able to be around them as people. You know, sure. the kids were at some camp and doing some things. And they're at the drop zone. And me and Mike were working together. And she was there having fun. But it was cool to see at that level, you know, like they started at CSC like 20 years prior or something, yep. you know, yep. and they came back because, you know, like just to, to be there, you know, I mean, it's really cool to see that, like, no matter how much time you put in the sport, there's still that passion there. Sure. You know, like one, one of them's working and the other one's there playing while he's at work. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So now you, you kind of found a way to balance a, a working life in the real world with being able to go out and do all of this skydiving stuff as well. And then you started competing. You're traveling all around the world. How did you turn that into, all right, I want to go from competition to now I want to start passing on my knowledge and I want to start coaching and I want to start doing that. How did that happen? Man, it was, it was extremely humbling, right? Like it's another one of those things where I didn't know the opportunity I had. Like I had was jumping at Paris was on a slightly supported team and I got pulled over to Elsinore by Brad Cole and I shot video for his team. And the next year, like I was like, remember being devastated, but I didn't know it was the opportunity of a lifetime. Mm. Brad had went to be the rigger in Dubai and he had set me up with a meeting and I basically took over the team and was able to jump for free and my what my catalyst was is i had to start doing a monthly skills camp mm. and i had to start organizing at the drop zone boogies and elsinore you know chicks rock that that's kind of you know one of the biggest southern california boogies sure so i think it was like my third or fourth competitive year and third year at chicks rock that i did a sunset angle jump and I had this dude come up to me after the sunset angle jump and was like, just geeking. Like that was the best jump ever. Like a man, I can't, I've never had a jump like that. It's like, will you come to my drop zone and, you know, teach us how to do that. Hmm. And at that time I had been hosting these, you know, skills camps once a month that weren't very popular. You know, they're a free skills camp and people really didn't understand the value of it. Sure. So I'd had a lot like, you know, experience with like three or four people at a time and maybe five or six and a couple groups. And I was like, you know what? I was like, I think it's time to try my hand at this outside of Southern California. And mm. it was one of those things where it's like, you, you really don't understand the, the information you have is it's accessible where you are. Right. Like right. being around Travis and Andy and you know, the knowns were known, you know, but as I traveled to a small drop zone, I didn't understand that how my first five or six years in the sport I had amassed this expertise and, you know, this, this, the level of understanding and and detail for these disciplines that just didn't exist at other places. Right. And, and it's crazy how the word of mouth really spreads in our sport because like I started at one place and then one person there was like, Oh, you should come to my drop zone here. And then it kind of just one thing led to another. And before I knew it, I, I remember my first year I started booking events in May and I filled up my schedule in like August through October, right? Ending at wow. Chicks Rock. Wow. And I was like, fuck, oh, this, I could do this. You know, like I could stay busy. I could work on the weekends. I have the freedom from work. It's like, this, this could be the thing, right? Um, then the next year, come December, I get invited to go to Australia the next year. So I was like, shit, I'm going to go to Australia next January. I was like, maybe I'll start pushing now to start booking earlier and I'll start doing the winter stuff 
on the on the west coast as well sure so then i started booking in december and then in february i was then booked from february to january the following year and it was like it then it was really interesting how it, it could it, it makes a large transition because those weekend off those weekends off are, are really important sure you know and then you find yourself you know like in july where you're on your 18th trip to the east coast <laughs> you know and yeah yeah for three-day trips you know overnights right. on thursday night for you know be there at 9 a.m on friday and <clears> you know like just and I remember like the jumping then was nuts too. Like I remember doing like thirty jumps a weekend, you know, like summer days, ten jumps a day, and you know, like going home, getting up, going to work, and then doing it all again. And and I, I realized that next year that the nature of a balance is really important. And <laughs> I, I started to create divisions and you know not travel. Like I still traveled. Like, I think the next year I went to five countries, mm. but still I made sure that I had weekends off, you know, and I, and I made sure that there was a little bit different, uh, Nate, like I stopped going from boogies all the time to doing a boogie to the next weekend I do a skills camp or, you know, like sure. kind of mix the monotony. So it was, uh, a little bit more, uh, favorable for my body. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think actually one of the, one of the uh, chief complaints that I've had from any of the people that I've talked to uh, about burnout is always they went too full tilt because I mean, it's an attractive fucking lifestyle to your, I'm traveling, I'm jumping out of airplanes, I'm meeting people, I'm doing all this amazing stuff. But next thing, you know, as soon as it becomes a job, then it starts to get really fucking difficult. You know I mean? Oh for, yeah. Well, you, you like what, what the thing for me that was this, it wasn't, I wouldn't say tough, but it was like, you realize like, like for me, I didn't understand. It's like, you know, when I was at the drop zone, like I really did care to be, you know, a positive energetic influence to people. Mm. And, and that, that interaction, it's effort and energy, you know? Sure. And when you give it all the time, you know, it's like, you really got to understand like, Oh wow, there's a balance to this. Right. Because I only like, as I rest, I only recoup so much energy and sure. then I get up and then I go and I go hard and then, say I have a long night, you know, then that compounds the next day's energy. And, you know, like sure. I learned about five, six years ago when I was working seven day events that, you know, like a lot of the events, they're not races, they're marathons, sure. you know, and it's, it's about how you make it through and get through all your days of jumping. And, and, uh, when you book nine days, you want to jump nine days and get paid for them, you know? Sure. Well, that's too. That's the thing, right? I mean, you're not showing up just to party. You're there for a purpose other than just enjoying the environment. So you've got to, you know, kind of pace yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to be getting called back to events if you're if you're not being able to, you know, put out what you're offering. Hundred percent, right? Like, and, and and the thing there is, it's like it's it comes down to that balance. You know, it's like it's having fun, but also putting on your business hat. Sure. You know, because at the end of the day, like you are there for an event and you are there for their event. And that's, that's the main reason of the whole trip is the event, you know? Sure. So it's like putting the prior, having the priorities in order is, is important, you sure. know? And I've noticed that like, as I've transitioned to uh, run my skydiving school, like more of a business, that's just been respected and it's, and it's been easier. And then the work is easier and the communication's easier. Sure. And it's like, it's, it's those things that you don't know until you know, or until you learn them, you know, right. and it's, it's, it's the experience that's like a hundred percent, you know, cause if, if I, if you would have asked me when I started, if I was ever going to travel to an event for work, I'd have been like, no way. 
And then if you would have asked me if I was ever going to get sick of traveling to skydiving events, <laughs> I would have told you you're crazy. Right. You know, but there's definitely a point where it's like, man, okay. Like there's, there's only so much that my body can do sure. and I need to find that balance. Well, and, and I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just need to step away from everything that's related to what I normally do just for a deep breath, just to yeah. go, all right, fuck, I need a reset. I need to go think about nothing that involves flying a plane or jumping out of a plane or writing or talking to anybody. I'm just going to shut the fuck down for two days or whatever it is. And it makes an amazing difference. You get to come back and go, oh, yeah, now I remember why I'm here. Oh, I, I like I I started doing like I was jumping stupid amounts when I was younger. And I remember taking January, like three weeks in January off every year and just going with the surfboard somewhere. Mm. And I remember like for the first week, like I was so glad to be away from the drop zone. And sure. then the second week I was just like, I need to get back to the drop zone, you know? <laughs> and then the third week I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to the drop zone. Like, sure. you, know, you know what I mean? So it's like, it never really made the three weeks, you know, it was like, I'm, I had the intention of giving myself the month. Then it always turned into about a two week break. Sure. You know, yeah, it's like uh, yeah, started, started itching a little bit. You I know? can definitely get away a little bit, but then again, I've been in the sport a lot longer than you. I've been in it for just barely shy of 25 years. So like a couple years yeah. back, I took my longest vacation away from jumping or an airplane and I was in Bali for three months and I did not think about flying a plane once. <laughs> See, and, and like, I, I could definitely say that's like, as it's, it's the, I feel, and please correct me, you know, I feel like it's exposure in the time, right? Because it's like, like, I remember when I first started, like, I couldn't not think about it for a day, Sure. you know? And then that became a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And now, like, granted, like, like most of my, my vacations now I've kind of ushered into skydiving trips. Sure. And, and so there's a business aspect, but I'm getting really good at disconnecting at the in-betweens. Sure. Yeah, no, you I know? mean. So it's like. I, I guess I, I jumped into the sport full throttle. I mean, from the get-go, I was uh, almost almost immediately working in the sport, and I'd been working in the sport in some capacity for almost 25 years. So for me, oh, yeah. to step back and just go, yeah, I need nothing to do with this for a little while is why I can come back and have a, a you know an iPhone filled with pictures from the cockpit because I still fucking think what I get to do is so goddamn impressive that I need to take pictures of it. You oh know. yeah and and it, you know well the thing is it's, it's the balance right and it's right. like and i guess like my balance is kind of defined or broken up by those 40 hour work weeks and sure. that would you know that that would be maybe generous the 50 hour work weeks you know sure. so it's like i think when i have that that regular imposing of all right i have to use left brain now right now i'm using right brain you know i think it's really easy for me or it makes it maybe a little bit harder for me to disconnect you know but like when your right brain for the hundred or the 40 hours a week for 160 hours a month, you know, like the disconnect I feel maybe becomes long necessary longer. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause I'm sure that there's a process in that three months. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, sure. that's the, you know, that's the thing too, is uh, because I just worked in the sport and didn't have another job for the majority of that. Um, there never was that, you know, stepping back and having to put my focus into something else. It was always here. Um, yeah. you know, and yeah. Well, then, you need, then, then, then breaks become necessary. Oh yeah. Like, and you know, and then the more you do it, the longer the breaks become necessary to become fully rested. Right. Sure. Sure. But again, that being able to take those breaks is why I've been able to consistently come back and still fucking love it. I mean, I started the podcast, not necessarily because I thought the podcast was going to go anywhere, but because I want to sit around and shoot the shit with fucking skydivers. 
yeah, what a what an awesome way to spend extra time, right? Yeah, man. catching up with you know old yeah. friends and making new ones. Yeah, and it's a fucking blast. It really is. It uh, it's an opportunity to to um, get similar minds together. And one of the biggest comments that I get over and over again is from a lot of older skydivers that have stopped jumping, and they're like, "I listen to the podcast because I feel like I'm back at the drop zone." Which is kind of what it's all about, oh, anyway. I mean, like, no, hundred percent. Like, it was great, and that's that was, you know, when I was listening, it was super cool because, like, there's a lot of these things that you disconnect with. You know, you're super close to where you are now, but you know, you kind of disconnect from the origins. Sure. And you know, it's it's really important not to lose that connection. You know, because it's like I'll tell you firsthand is like when I think back to the the few people that took the time to mentor me and give me direction and the reason that they did that is just because they cared about me as a person, sure. you know, and, and lo and behold, that I was able to take that little bit of input and per- turn it into a business and turn it into a lifestyle. Like I, I never really ne- never knew what I had access to. And I never really knew how thankful that I could, would be, sure. you know, and it's like, and it's just the nature of the people in our sport of wanting the best for everyone around you. Oh you know? yeah. Well, and, and I mean, let's face it, most skydivers are, are very open, very giving, generally pretty happy people. I mean, I don't think anybody that I approached to do the podcast, even back when I was just getting started, um, said no. And people would say, hey, can we do it next week or the week after or whatever? But I mean, I've got rock stars from the start of the the podcast just because they, just like me, enjoy sitting and talking about all the amazing experiences we get to have in this lifestyle. Oh, I mean, like it's you. You don't know this when you get that USPA membership at AFF. You know, like you don't know that, like, along with that little logbook becomes a logbook of memories and friendships that kind of form you who oh, yeah. you are in the direction. You know, like, oh yeah, it's, I mean, it's I, it's, among, sure you, it's amazing. You know, yeah, you're just. I'm sure you're just like me. Is uh, very slowly but surely as I got more and more into skydiving, I watched my circle of friends go from a couple of skydivers to mostly skydivers to skydivers. And then the one or two people that I remain friends with outside of skydiving. And it's pretty much been that way for again, 25 years. I can name on one hand close friends that I have that don't jump. Oh, I mean, I would say I've, I have one friend that is, and it's been his effort to stay in my life. And we both, we've, we've had time through division, like of traveling as our, of the nature of our jobs. But my family has started is become the people I've met. You know, sure. one of my one of my goddaughters dad is the one of my first tunnel instructors. <laughs> you know? So it's like it's like did I know that I'd ever have a goddaughter? No. Like thanks God I mean for that. You know? Sure. Like it's it's crazy how like and now my one of my best friends I surf with every day, he came to one of my free camps ten nice. years ago. Nice. You know, and now that's who I spend the Christmas with. And, you know, I, I watch I've watched his kid go from being a little boy that gets rolled around. And now he's a little seven year old with an opinion. Sure. You know, it's 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 crazy. You know, and and I, and I have to look back and be grateful because it's like, man, like the you know, I, I got into skydiving at a really hard time. I lost a good friend and skydiving really saved social engagement for me. You know, it, it, it brought better people in my life. And it, it made me see that there are good people still. And sure. it was an influx of good people because the drop zone, you got some really good people. Yeah. You know, and uh, and it, it, it was a neutralizer for a lot of bad things. And then it became the the basically the 
the, the founding center, of a lot of good things. The you know? centerpiece, like, yeah. This uh, yeah. Uh, this fucked up year that we're still suffering through has been amazing proof of uh, some of the incredible shit that skydivers will do outside of the sport as well. And um, the Julio and making all the masks and all the different help that I've seen given all around, and especially where you're at in SoCal. I mean, you guys are getting ready to go under lockdown again, but uh, or are you locked down? Oh, again? yeah. It's, I mean, it's like it's it's crazy. It's it's certain areas are now just not acknowledging the lockdown, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of like. It's funny, right? Because you get the tech, me- the text messages like, "Hey, let's like the groups of let's go watch football the back door at this place," and it's you know like, like it's it's just frustrating, right? Because it's those are the things that are going to help us from keeping this change, right? Sure. Or who knows what's going to make change? But it's like the this year has imposed the longest break of skydiving for me in eleven years. Yeah, for you know, most like people. I had to go. Th- yeah, I had to go, you know, like when we shut down the drop zones here and then Paris made those extreme efforts to open, you know, like that was, that was tough, you know, but like sure. the thing is, it's like, I think the last like thing I saw on social media was the Riverside County sheriffs were saying that we're not going to impose the mandate, the, the information is inaccurate. And if you want to operate your business, be responsible, you sure. know, so I believe that Paris is still operating. So, I mean, it's, it's, a it's, it's an interesting time, you know, it's hard to really understand, uh, the direction of what's happening. You know, it's, it's like, it's now starting to be a thing where for a long time I I would hear about it and I didn't know people that were having it. And now it's like, I'm starting to regularly hear the people that I know are having it. Oh yeah. And good, good, bad, and different. It's, it's, a thing you know so for sure man like for sure well and and uh, i'm hoping that now that the 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 vaccines getting spread and stuff that uh, it's going to be a while before life gets back to normal but if you're safe and i know paris valley was big about trying to be safe with everything and um you know as much social distancing as you can do and the masks and all that kind of stuff then being able to get back in the air is an amazing thing i mean yeah i mean for the mindset right because it's it's oh yeah you 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 know it's that freedom that you when you have uh like that access to it, you really don't understand how good it is for your mindset. Sure. Right. But then when you're withheld it, it's like, it's really a part of people, yes. you know, like I couldn't even imagine what it was like for Sarge, you know, Craig having to take a break after, you know, like 30,000 right. jumps. Oh yeah. You know, and then now being imposed, maybe it was good for him. He's been jumping so long. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't um, know, man. I'll tell you what, I've never seen anybody still so damn excited to go jump out of an airplane. Oh, <laughs> dude are you kidding me and remember everyone's names like yeah. kidding me like it's the, those two things you know the internal stoke you know well, i mean i remember watching videos and and seeing all this amazing stuff and seeing these incredible jumping that he would do and then you meet him and talk to him and i remember part of me walking away going fuck and he's cool too shit yeah exactly because <laughs> yeah. you kind of yeah. want him to be a dick because then at least there's something he's about so him you won't good. admire but you're like dude you're like the nicest fucking human being on the planet Oh yeah. Well, dude, it's like you want to hug him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. like it was funny because the other day I was, I did a balloon jump at Paris, right? I was, I did my first base course and being, you know, scared as shit now as I've sure. seen a lot in the last 12 years. Sure. You know, I went and did a, you know, a, a balloon jump, no, like a dead air exit. <laughs> and as I was driving back to the drop zone, I saw this plumbing truck that said Gerard's plumbing. I was like, oh, fuck, I wonder how Craig's doing. Right. And then I pull up to Paris, 
to drop my rig back off in my team room. And him and Ileana are parked there and they're training on a team with BC. Awesome. And I was like, what? No, you know, and then we had a quick little catch up and how you doing and all that. But it's just like, man, like see the Gerard truck. And then I see the Gerards. Yep. It, was, it was pretty yep. cool, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, anytime you see Craig, it's a pleasure, you know, it always makes your day better. Always, you know? always, always. Yeah. He's one of those guys that's got a smile for everybody. For yeah, sure. he's You know, and, and it's funny because it's like, and you know, that guy talks to a lot of people, but he's like, man, how's air conditioning going? You know, like how's, how's your life going outside the drop zone? You know? And it's like, wow, not only do you remember my name, you remember my trade and that I'm a person, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah, dude, it's, you, insane. It, it's a, it's a mixed bag with him. Cause you walk away going, all right, I, I feel kind of useless. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, the thing is, it's like, like, like I, like I have a lot of time for people like right. that. Right. You know, but I also understand that, man, I know he doesn't have a lot of time. So right. when I'm having that conversation, I'm trying to get the utmost out of it. Sure. In the least amount of time. Sure. So he can continue to affect others the same manner <laughs> right, he's affecting right, right. me, you know. <laughs> now, um, speaking of the future, um, what, uh, of course, if everything starts getting fucking better, uh, what kind of events have you got coming up and what do people need to be keeping an eye on? What's what's the plan for 2021? So we're doing something a little bit different this next year. I, uh, I've kind of been thinking that skydiving in my events have kind of needed a little change in direction. So this is kind of a big one and kind of a lot of efforts going in, but I've teamed up with a good friend of mine. Maybe you heard of him, Nick batch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've heard. So he's uh, pretty established. You know, he's, I would say he would, he's uh, done a few things that are monumental for his discipline. One or two. And, uh, we are uh, we're combining our efforts and we're putting together uh, what we're going to call the total flight experience. Oh, and nice! It's going to it's going to be a fully debriefed experience. So from free fall, you'll be having a group free fall instruction, and then you will be having canopy instruction from Nick Batch and several other professionals. Jesus. So it's going to be yeah, it's going to be a concentration of information, you know, and uh, it's about connecting the interdisciplinary progression, right? Now, what, because uh, you could be what level are you looking for students? Uh, is it, this is low we're level shooting, or this is this, no, we're, this is something where we're trying to, for the first time, accommodate all levels. Oh, wow. And okay. we've, we've been, we've been very creative about how we're structuring groups and altitude and things like that to where, um, we're going to get some more altitude and we're going to have separate landing areas and ground video. And there's a lot to it. Um, the idea is just creating input, uh, open access of information on all levels. Sure. Right. Um, the thing is, is if you go to a canopy course, you're typically doing 15 or 20 hop and pops right. in a weekend and it's really canopy focused, which that's the, the beautiful thing about this is it's going to be, you can take from it what you want. Right. And if that's your focus, that's your focus. Um, but you're still not going to lose on the other part. And the other cross part is it's, there are people that have had that focus where it's been canopy and it's fallen short on their inner, their free fall disciplines. Mm. Right. So it's about creating that. You know, the progression for people that are just having terrible landings that don't have that understanding of connecting to getting to a little bit more high performance to even knowing if you want to make a high performance landing to essentially the people that are just, you know, kind of bringing everyone together, you know, and kind of creating a standardized table of like, hey, this is an idea of where we all start. This is an idea of where we all begin to go. And this is how we want to go. This is this is kind of the path of where you want to end if if this is what you want awesome. if that makes sense awesome so so that'll be the first one will be in Skydance in mid April um, and then we're going to be bringing it down the West Coast after that 
Nice, man. Nice. You're going to my old stomping grounds, man. Skydance is a, is a great little place. Yeah. Um, and I'd say that it's, it's definitely, you know, the, the amount of uh, openness that they've had with us when uh, doing an event like this, it's, uh, it's pretty cool that they're, they're willing to usher a new direction. You know, awesome. this is a, it's a big undertaking when you combine these, these disciplines and, uh, it's really cool how they're, how they're accommodating for us. No doubt. No doubt. Now, how do, how are people going to, uh, uh, track you and the new direction this is going? How do they find you on social media? How do they find out about your camps? How do they find out about this new stuff that's going on? Nathan Smith skydiving is my Instagram handle. And on that handle, we will be seeing some new things coming out of the total flight experience. And we'll be having a page for that as well. Um, we're about to formally do the first announcement just after the first of the year with a short me- uh, video release on social media awesome. with me and Nick. Um, so I'd say just uh, Nathan Smith on Sky- Nathan Smith on Facebook and Nathan Smith skydiving on Instagram. Dude, that's fucking awesome. I have I, I have a feeling you're going to end up, especially having uh, um, paired up with Nick, be busy as fuck. Yeah, I think, you know, like we've, we've been planning this for about five years when we met in Australia. And, you know, it's it's something to where it's we've been waiting for the right time for the sport to be ready for it. Sure. And I think that uh, I think that we're there, you know, so it's it's going to be an evolution and a learning process. But I think we're going to have a lot of fun and uh, maybe mix it up a bit. Well, and come 2021, I think people are going to be chomping at the bit to get back to a little bit of normalcy and start learning some new stuff, which is fucking fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the idea is, is to be able to have an affordable platform for people to get information to where, you know, it's also fun. Sure. You know, so it's well, just trying to be a little different. That's what we started doing this shit for in the first place, right? <laughs> to go yeah, out and exactly. have fun, man. <laughs> it's supposed to be enjoyable. Well, dude, Nathan, I'll tell you what, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to sit down and shoot the shit with me. Um, it's, it, I want to hear more about how these new courses go. I want to hear more about the progression. And you said you guys are going to announce first of the year? Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to go to uh, Nathan Smith Skydiving on Instagram and Nathan Smith on Facebook to track you down both places. Correct. Dude, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, bud. All right. Once again, that was Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, as always, brought to you by the greatest magazine in the known universe, Blue Skies Mag. Head to blueskiesmag.com. Also brought to you by the extreme sports collective, Pussfoot.com. Head to Pussfoot.com and check it out. Summit Parachute Systems, summitparachutesystems.com, Jarrett Martin making badass pilot rigs and giving rigging courses as well. You've got to check them out. And then there's me. I am the fucking pilot. You can check me out at thefuckingpilot.net. That's where you can get uh, subscriptions to this podcast and all the other episodes, as well as links to both the books that I've written, the Blue Skies Magazine's fucking pilot book and the Accidental Stripper, both available in digital and print. We'll see you next time.